0: One of the greatest weaknesses of the modern Christian is the practice of a truncated spirituality. Now the term truncated means shortened, it means abbreviated, it means partial or um, incomplete. Two years ago something shifted in the potato chip industry, I don't know if anyone has noticed this, used to buy a bag of chips and it was full. Now you buy a bag of chips, and you open it, and you look in, and it's only partially filled. You know, a spirituality that is truncated is incomplete. It's it's one-dimensional rather than multi-dimensional. And when we examine the scriptures and we look at the teachings of of Jesus, it's clear and it's evident that a holistic spirituality is multi-dimensional dimensional. It's a spirituality that is both vertical and horizontal. It's both upward and outward. And for the church and for each one of us, um, we face the same temptation to practice a spirituality that is truncated. And what we have to recognize and what we have to understand is that knowing God and experiencing God not only has a vertical dimension in our lives, but it also has a horizontal dimension. There's not only, you could say, a spiritual dimension, but there's also a social dimension. And some Christians only measure their spirituality either vertically or horizontally, we see this even in denominational life and even throughout all of Christianity. Anybody ever, anybody ever think that it's just weird that we have like 10,000 denominations in Christianity? Has that ever like just like been odd to anybody? Uh, so many different denominations and Presbyterian and Baptist and Methodist and Lutheran and Moravian and Mennonite and X, Y, and Z. And virtually every denomination has, um, here's what's crazy, you, there's not only just one Baptist denomination, there's there's like dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of Baptist denominations, free will Baptist and American Baptist and Southern Baptist and Northern Baptist and X, Y, and Z Baptist and every Baptist and your mama's Baptist and your grandmama's Baptist and your, and the same is true as Presbyterianism, Methodism, Lutheranism. And the, the reason why is because Christians have a tendency to Elevate or to um, emphasize one aspect of the nature of spirituality at the expense of the other. And when Christians disagree, they divide. And rather than figure out how to do it together, we choose to do it our own way, and every denomination essentially has an evangelical um, side and a mainline side, and to spare you of all the historical details, but essentially one side emphasizes um, the vertical nature of spirituality, things like, and things like evangelism and pietism and mysticism and one side um, evangel or, or emphasizes rather the horizontal emphasis, which is volunteerism and activism and philanthropism. This past week, I was in New York City with a small cohort of pastors. It was an unbelievable experience. Few pastors. We organized a, a little trip, a, a week long cohort with a pastor who's been in Manhattan for about 20 years, a pastor named John Tyson. And one of my favorite moments of the week is he took us around Manhattan, and we went to various. Historical locations, and he gave us a history of the different moves of God and the movements of God and things that have happened in the city throughout um, the various um, decades and really centuries. I'm going to show you a, a picture of one of the locations, one of the places that we stopped. Um, this picture is um, uh, the Second German Baptist Church. It's no longer a church anymore, it's called the West Side Theater, um, and there's even a flower shop on the bottom floor. Um, but we, we we stood on the steps of Second German Baptist Church and uh, Pastor John Tyson articulated for us a, a pastor named Walter Rauschenbusch who in 1886 took the pastorate of the Second German Baptist Church. And Rauschenbusch's experience at his first pastorate was quite devastating. Uh, he, he, he would lead and he, he would pastor in a church where um, the wealthy would come together and worship, and the impoverished would come together and, and worship, and he, what he would recognize is that the wealthy who uh, led and owned and operated the pier down the end of the street just a few blocks away were oppressing those who were poor in terrible conditions and terrible pay in terrible situations, but then they would both come together in the same church and worship on Sunday, What Roshan Bush uh, experienced was uh, some people had categories for a Sunday spirituality, but not a Monday spirituality. And he was so devastated and he was so broken that he would go on really a a rampage for the next, I call it a rampage, but a a mission for the next few years, the next few decades, and would become one of the uh, leading voices in the world on the need for not only a vertical, Aspect of your spirituality, but also a horizontal aspect of your spirituality. The the downside and the problem with Rauschenbusch is that he would go so hard in the horizontal nature that he would almost abandon the vertical nature altogether. He himself would fall into the danger and the tragedy of a truncated uh, spirituality. And here's what I would want you to understand today: is that God is not only concerned with renewing you spiritually. Uh, But he's also concerned about renewing you socially. God is not only concerned with the vertical aspects of his kingdom, he's also concerned with the horizontal aspects of his kingdom. And he not only is in the business of renewing us spiritually to himself, but he's also in the business of renewing us to one another. And last week, I I spent some time and we walked through the story and what it looked like for God to do the work of spiritual renewal. And here's the title for today. It's this, we're going to see social renewal. And we're going to see that um, the way that God works and the way that God moves, uh, God leads his people and a vertical aspect of their spirituality as well as a horizontal aspect. Today we're in Nehemiah chapter 10 and we've been looking at this incredible story that chronologically fits at the end of the New Testament and the people of God have gone through millennia of different journeys of their story. And at the end of the Old Testament, God's people for quite a few decades have been in a season that's called exile which was far from their land, outside of the city of Jerusalem. They had been enslaved. They had been taken away from God's people, and they had been in a state of exile. And we'll see that this season and this moment of exile is a spiritual thing that is true of our lives um, as well. And God doesn't leave his people in exile. We've we've titled this season God's Not Done. And the beauty is that God's not done. He doesn't leave his people there, but he actually goes and he rescues them. He rescues them from exile. He brings them back. It's a story of renewal. It's a story of restoration. And it's also a story of rebuilding. And that God's going to do the business of rebuilding his, his people. And the good news for us today is that you feel if you feel like you're in a season of exile or separation or failure or misery or you're not where you want to be the good news today is God's not done with you and that he can do the business of renewal and restoration in your life and our God is an active God he is a working God he's not in retirement he's not taking a nap He's an active God and the scriptures tell us that he never sleeps and he never slumbers and that he's active and moving and he's in the business of rebuilding his people and last week we saw the beautiful story of how God rebuilt his people spiritually and then today we're going to see how God rebuilds them socially. I'm in Nehemiah chapter 10. If you join me, um, I'm going to begin in verse 28. Verse 28. <laughs> Here's what the text says. We'll jump right in. It says the rest of the people, speaking of the people of God, the priest, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated. Somebody say separated. Separated. They've separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. The reason why they were in exile in the first place is they chose not to be the people of God and they wanted to be like the people of the world what so sent them into exile in the first place. But now they've separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law. Somebody say law. law. They're separating themselves from something and they're joining themselves to something. They're joining themselves to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. They're at a place where they actually have knowledge and understanding. Here's what I want to emphasize to you um, at the beginning of this section is the, the need for God's people to separate themselves from the world. The need for God's people to be uh, distinct. If you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I recognize that not everybody today in the room is a follower of Jesus, you're, not everybody in the room is a Christian, which is, which is I was going to say that's wonderful. I don't think that's wonderful, but I'm grateful that you're here. We're, this is a church that's a safe place. It's a safe place to come and to experience God. We're grateful that you're here. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you cross the line of faith, uh, what, what must be true of your life is that you must be distinct from the world. There, there has to be a separation process. Uh, there has to be a distinction that happens in your Life. You just can't keep doing what you have always done. You can't keep living the way that you have always lived. If you're going to join yourself to Jesus, then you've got to be distinct from um, the world. And God's people are being distinct. They're separating themselves from the world and they're joining themselves to the law of God. To the law of God. And they're, they're attaching themselves to the, the law, which is the commands of God, the instructions of God, the, the ways of God. And they're going to begin to uh, observe the law of God and his Uh, commandments. Every Christian must decide what their relationship with the world is going to be like. I'll put it on the screen for you. This is a little bit of a a spectrum, and each of us um, have a tendency to kind of lean one way or the other as it relates to um, how we're going to engage with culture, how we're going to engage with the world. On on one side is assimilation. On the assimilation side, that just means that you assimilate with the beliefs and with the mindset, with the views, with the ideology, with the practices, and the activities of the world. Um, you just jump right in. Hey, I'll do it. I, I, I kind of want to be liked. I kind of want to fit in. I don't want people at work to think that I'm weird. I don't want my neighbors to think that I'm some kind of crazy person. Um, I, I want to jump in. I want to do what everybody else is doing. I want to I assimilate. It's, the, it's assimilation. It's just assimilating into the world. Now, on the other extreme, on the other side is isolation. Isolation. I'm not going to be like the world. I'm going to separate myself far from the world. I'm not going to do anything with the beliefs, the mindset, the practices. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to participate. It's complete isolation from the world. It's complete separation from the culture of the world. Now, here's, 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 here's a challenge with these extremes. If you, if you assimilate to the world, you can't become like Christ you assimilate to the world, you cannot become like Christ. You will not experience what God wants you to experience in your life. You won't have a a kingdom of God framework. Uh, You'll have a kingdom of the world framework, which always leads to demise and destruction. So if you assimilate to the world, you can't become like Christ. But if you isolate from the world, you can't impact the world for Christ. That's the other other extreme. If you isolate yourself, you're not going to have any impact for um, Christ. And so, so we're not going to do assimilation, we're not going to do isolation, we'll do um, a, a big fancy word called, I'll, I'll say it this way, differentiation. And this is a, in business and in marketing, if, if, if you own a business, if you run a business, you probably understand this, there's got to be something about you in the market, you're in the market, but you're differentiated from everyone else. Uh, spiritual differentiation is when we maintain engagement in the world, but we also maintain our distinction from the world. We can be in the world, as it's, as, as it's said, but not of the world. And here's the reality is that each of us have a tendency to lean one way or the other way, or one way or the other. Can I ask you, <laughs> pastorally, which way do you typically lean? This would be a great conversation for date night this week. You're like, Pastor Ethan, that's a weird conversation for Dayton. If you're looking for content, I'm, I'm here for you. I got content for you. If you're in a discipleship relationship, this is a great conversation for discipleship relationship. If you're in a community group, this is a great, com- which, which, just which way do you lean? Which way, and and here, here's, I kind of know which way I lean, but every single one of us has a tendency to lean one way or uh, the other. You got to be mindful of that and you got to come back to the middle. And we see that God's people, um, they're going to be distinct in in the world. They're not gonna fall back into the trap of assimilation or isolation. And then here's what we see in, in verse 29, the next verse that says this. Here's what the people did. They, they joined with their brothers, their, their nobles, their leaders. <laughs> and here's what they did. They entered into a curse and an oath. They like bind themselves. They, 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 they have an oath and here's what their oath is, is to walk in God's law they're not going to forfeit the law like they used to. They're going to bind themselves to God's ways, to God's instructions, to God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. Why don't we see this verse on any coffee mugs? I'm going to bind myself to the commandments of God and his rules and his statutes. Nobody's putting that on mugs. But when you've been in exile, when you've destroyed your life, when you've experienced separation from God, when you've experienced everything in your life falling apart because you did it your way, you turn to God. Say, God, I'm done with doing it my way. I'm going to do this thing your way. And I'm going to, exile was not fun. I never want to go back there. I'm going to bind myself to God's ways, to God's ways of, of doing things. And this is what we see. We see commitment. We see obligation. We see covenant. We see obedience. Every Christian's favorite practice, obedience. Obedience to God and their relationship to the law. Now here's <laughs> I'll do the I'll do another spectrum for you to kinda help us understand the way that we relate to the law, or you could say God's commands, or God's rules, or the God's instructions for our lives, and here's here's the here's the two extremes of the way that we typically um, operate. On, on one side is license, and on the other side is legalism. I'll break down these words a little bit of theological words, but I'll kind of break them down for you. License essentially means Christian license or Christian liberty. Um, here's here's a few things about the person that operates in license. This person says, "My significant or uh, my significance comes from freedom." Um, I need to be free. I need to be from what, free from what other people tell me to do and other categories and boxes that people put me into. I need to be free. And that's going to be my relationship to God. And this person values liberty above all. I just need to have my Christian liberty and I need to be, operate however I want to operate. This is what they think about God. God expects me to be free. This person views God ultimately as friend. God is my friend. Downside is this person takes away from scripture. Now, on the other side of legalism, legalism, this person finds their significance from moralism. Legalism means moralism. It means, it means rule abiding. It means, it means following the law, adherence to the law. This person values duty above all. This person would say, God expects me to be good. So therefore, this person views God as Judge. And what ends, up, what ends up happening is a person is so committed to their moralism and to rules as they ultimately add the scripture and they add more rules and regulations even above what God says. License is about my freedom and I find my significance in being free and doing what I want to do. And the person in legalism says I find my significance in my moralism and in my rules and that's what gives me significance or a salvation those are two ditches, two extremes, and the right way to operate is what I'll call lordship. Lordship, and lordship just means Jesus now is my lord. I'm following Jesus. Jesus is my king. Every single person has to decide what's going to be lord. Is, um, is your career going to be lord? Is a spouse going to be lord? Or finances going to be lord? Is a a sexual pleasure going to be lord, is an addiction going to be lord, is a philosophy or ideology going to be lord. Everybody has to decide what's going to be lord. Lordship means I'm going to submit to Jesus as lord and I'm not going to fall into the ditch of license or legalism. I'm going to follow Jesus as lord and do what he calls me to do. I'm submit to Christ. I'm not going to be in opposition to God. I'm going to be in submission to God. <laughs> Here's what Jesus would say. To his disciples in John 14, verses 15 and following, he would say, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So many people are like, I'm down with Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus is amazing. I don't do what he says, but I like him a lot. Uh, Jesus says, You, you don't understand. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever, this is what's amazing about obedience. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will get this manifest myself to him. Which is crazy. I've never even seen it. This week I was studying this. And I'm like, this is crazy. O- obedience is the path for manifestation of Jesus' presence in our lives. This is incredible. I will manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. We'll make our dwelling place in him. This is Incredible the manifestation of Jesus in your life, one of the ways that that happens is actually through obedience. One of the ways that that God makes his home in you is through obedience. It's through uh, following him. It's, it's It's through doing what he says. And so here's what needs to happen. And if we're not going to just have a a spiritual vertical understanding of our relationship with God, but we're going to have horizontal understanding, the social dimension of the way that we're supposed to live and operate in our own lives. You have to understand this about um, obedience. And here's what I want you to understand today is that obedience is commanded, but it's also rewarded. And there has to be a shift that happens in your mindset and in your mentality. And every person in the journey of spirituality and in the path of following God must come to a place where that you recognize that obedience is not just commanded, but it's also rewarded. There's a reward for obedience. There's a gift for obedience. You could say that obedience is a vehicle for intimacy with God. Obedience is a vehicle for heaven, for kingdom to come into your life when we obey God and when we follow him. And here's what (laughs) <laughs> here's what we have to change, not only our shift in our, our mindset about the way that we think about obedience, but we've got to change and shift the way that we think about God. How do you view God? What do you think about God? Most of us think about God as he's some kind of distant dictator that hates us and wants to create a miserable life for us. Do you believe that God is for your good, that he's looking out for you, that he loves you, that he is for you? I'll say it this way. You've got to begin believing that God is for your flourishing. God is for your flourishing. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to have an abundant life. He wants you to be full. He wants you to understand what it means to live in right relationship with him and live in right relationship with others. He's actually for your flourishing. He wants you to have a life that flourishes. And one of the ways that our life flourishes when we do things God's way. I'll say this as well. God's commands are not about what he wants from you, what he wants for you. Amen. Can I just pastorally stop and just just feel in my spirit right now? Do you believe that God is for you? Good. Do you believe that God cares about you? Do you believe God sees you? Do you believe that God is intentional? concerned and sympathetic with your journey and where you're going. You need to understand today, you need to believe that God is for you. He is, he's done so much for you. He's done so much for you. He made you. He made you. He gave you life. He gave you existence. And he didn't just leave you alone. He, he gave you his people. He gave you his word. He gave you his law. He gave you his love. He gave you him, himself. He gave you everything. He gave his life for you. And the good news of the gospel is that um, it cost God everything for you. Amen. It cost him everything for you. And that Christ would even go to the cross, which was meant for you. Jesus would sacrifice his very life for you, for your flourishing, so that you could be delivered from the enemy, from Satan, from sins, from hell, from the grave, and save you and bring you into himself so that you could have a new life and an abundant life and understand what it's like to know God and walk with Him. He is for you. He is for you. He is for your flourishing. He's for your good. And every one of His commands are not about what he wants from you, but what he wants for you. The reason why he gives you instruction on marriage and finances and, and relationships and work and career and home and everything is for your flourishing because he wants you to thrive and to flourish. I love what the psalmist would say in Psalm 84, 11. The Lord bestows favor and honor. That just means he overflows with favor and honor. He overflows with favor. He's not like got his hands clenched in his pockets, not wanting to give to you. He is overflowing with favor and honor. It's, it's abundant. He's like, I got so much. I just need to figure out what to do with it. I, I, I need to give it away. He is overflowing with this. And it says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, if you're walking uprightly, if you're pursuing him, if you're following him, he's not in the business of trying to give you bad. He's in the business of trying to give you good. He's trying to give you everything necessary for you to thrive and to experience the kind of life that he wants for you, which means you can experience God's best for your life. I came here to tell somebody today that you can experience God's best for your life. You don't have to stay in that relational situation that you're in. You don't have to stay in that addictive situation that you're in. You don't have to stay in that anxious situation that you're in. You don't have to stay in that defeated situation that you're in. You don't have to stay in that discouraged situation that you're in. Amen. I want you to know and I want you to believe today that God is for you. Good. And you, everybody, you can experience God's best for your life. You can experience God's best for your life. And, he, and here's what God does I hate that I cry in like every sermon, it's crazy. And, um, here's what God does. <laughs> So, God's concerned about uh, their experience spiritually and renewing them spiritually. And then he's, he's concerned about experience, their renewal socially. And, and then, what he does after he talks about um, God's people committing to them, to God, to, to his laws, to commandments, he gives three categories. <laughs> And these aren't the only categories in the scriptures, but he gives three categories for God's people. Remember, they're returning from exile. They're showing up to the new land. This is a new start. They're starting over. They're trying to figure it out. They've they've done it all wrong, and they're figuring it out. And and God gives them kind of three categories for the way that, and three of the most central categories for your life, and the way that you should understand uh, renewal socially. And here they are. Give them to you real quickly. Three areas of social renewal. Number one, he's going to unpack for them marriage and family. He's going to give them a context for the way that they should live in, in marriage and family and, in relationships. He's number two, he's going to do work and economics and the way that you work, the way that you do your career, the way that you think about your economics and your funds. And then number three, he's going to do generosity and service and the way that you live a life of generosity, the way that you get over yourself and the way that you live for something bigger and better than yourself. And so here, here's what I'll walk through these quickly in these verses. Here's number one, marriage and family. He, he says this in verse 30. He says this, the the people, um, the people rather, they say this um, as far as the way that God's renewing them socially. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Short little verse, but has a ton of meaning and a ton of background and a ton of context. God's people were unfortunately known before the exile of just giving themselves to anything. Rather than be devoted to God and in fidelity to, to God and his people and to, to do marriage and to do family and to do the relationships the way that God instructed them to do, they would just go marry anybody. They would just go marry anybody. They were so starving for meaning and significance and purpose, they would just join themselves to anybody. Is that your story, by the way? You, you, you will compromise everything just for the sake of t- communion and intimacy and relationship with somebody and God's people said we're done with that we're done with that we're not we're not just going to join ourselves to to anybody it's important if you want to understand like healthy social renewal the way that God wants your life to operate you just can't join yourself to anything and anybody you got to join yourself to the people of God and he says we're not just going to marry our daughters and our sons to anybody now these people got to love Jesus they got to follow Jesus they got to do it God's way The scriptures are filled with um, the way that we should think about marriage and and family fidelity to God. Marriage is a big deal. It's about oneness. It's about unity. It's about one flesh. And the purpose of marriage is to to demonstrate unity. And the scriptures say you can't unequally yoke yourself to someone that you're not in unity with. You just can't marry anybody. Marriage is about building a family. It's about raising children. It's about the instruction of God's ways and God's law. It's about having a godly legacy. And Relationships and marriage isn't about having a good time. It's about having a good legacy. And so God says, hey, it's important with your relationships. I understand that not everybody's married today. Uh, in in the room, roughly, um, the last um, survey that we've done, roughly um, about half or over half of the people who call the Bridge Church home are not married, Um, which I say is is, is wonderful. Hey, be single and love Jesus and be happy and um, hey, be a happy single person because unhappy single people make unhappy married people, okay? So go ahead and get happy now. You think that God has marriage in your future, just get happy now, okay, so that marriage isn't going to make you happy. Marriage, I may be able to make the case, is way harder than singleness. So just, uh, just... singleness is a wonderful gift. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful gift. Um, it, but, but even if you're single in your relationships, relationships around you, then as well, if, if your mar- relationships are important, are important, rather, if we're going to have um, renewal. And, and so these people say, these people commit to God, and part of their oath and part of their following God says, we're going to do relationships right. We're going to do marriage Right. Speaking with one of our members this morning and just praying and believing and receiving some fresh revelation today for the men in the room. Um, obviously, relationships take both. I think it's very evident and very clear that God is asking, where are the men? Where are the men? We're getting ready to go on a men's retreat this coming weekend. Hopefully you'll go. No. If not, um, where are the men? Where are the men in, in, in ministry? Where are the men in family? Where the men in our uh, communities? Let's raise godly men. Let's pursue relationships and, and marriage that are, that are God-ordained. So number one was marriage. Here's number two is work in economics. So they're going to have renewal in the way that they think about the relationships. And number two, they're going to have renewal in the way that they think about their work, their career, and their economics. It says this in Nehemiah 10.31. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. God's people essentially are saying, okay, God, we failed and we messed it up. We're going to start doing work the way that you said for us to do work, which is we're going to to stop making um, work our God and our idol. We're going to Sabbath. We're we're going to rest. We're going to do what you you commanded, which is we're not going to be workaholics. We're not going to work all the time. We're we're not, not going to let career own us. We're not gonna be driven by a paycheck or by a position or by a title. No, we're gonna do this your way and we're gonna work in a godly way. We're gonna rest and we're gonna do what you called us to do. We're going to do our career in the way that you want us to do this. And then we're going to, we're going to make sure that we are, we're fair with, with our economics. And we're, God's people had this regular rhythm. It's beautiful. I, I haven't seen this in any other nation in the history of the world. But on a regular basis, there was the principle in the nation of Israel that they would cancel debts. They weren't going to hold people in perpetual servitude or perpetual indebtedness, but in the people of God, we want to see equality happen. We want to love and serve and and, and give, and they said, we're going to to start doing our economics in a way that honors you, God. We're going to start doing our our finances and our resources and the things that you've blessed us with, the way that we work. We're going to to do this in in a healthy way. We're going to see renewal happen even in our careers. Here's number three. Here's the last one is this, in generosity and service generosity and service, and their last point of renewal is the way that they're going to renew themselves in their giving and their service to the house of God. It says this in verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. This is a unit of of financial giving. Verse 35, it also says, we obligate, that's that same word, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all our fruit, of every tree year by year, to the house of the Lord. We're gonna stop squandering our wealth and using our finances for all the things that we want. We're gonna start doing finances God's way. We're gonna give back to God. We're gonna give the first. We're not gonna wait till the end of the month to see what's left over. No, we're going to go ahead and obligate ourselves to make the house of God, the work of God, the kingdom of God a priority in our lives. We're gonna give the first fruit. We're not gonna give the last fruit. We're gonna give the first fruit. Verse 38, it says this, and the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. The temple literally had a storehouse. It had a bank. It had a treasury in which the resources of God's people were given and were stored for um, serving God's people. Verse 39, for the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall, shall bring the contribution of grain of wine and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Then it says this, we will not neglect the house of our God. We're, we're done neglecting the things of God. We're done neglecting the house of God. We did that already. You see what happened? They burned the temple down. They destroyed it. We're not gonna do that again. We're not going to do that again. We're going to have, we're going to be re- renewed. We're going to live a, a life that's renewed to God and the way that we think about even relationships, even work, even giving, even service. I'm going to make the, the work of God and the house of God a priority. Can I ask you a question today? If you call the Bridge Church home or if you're a follower of Jesus, is the house of God a priority in your life? It's good. Do, do you give financially to the Bridge Church? If you call this place home, we, by God's grace, have an incredibly generous church. Um, we're not like struggling to pay the bills. Um, We're we're, we're not like begging for, you know, for money each month. God God has blessed us uh, tremendously. So I actually don't even issue this at at, at a place of need, but not because we need it, but because you need it. Do you, you, is the house of God a priority in your life? Do do you give, Do do you serve? I think the last time we did a survey, I think this is actually really good. I think like a third of the people that call the Bridge Church home serve here on a regular basis, which is is wonderful. Do you you serve? The way that, hey, the way that the house of God happens is the people of God, just for the record, all right? There isn't like some kind of angel account that I have access to that just money magically appears in that account. And then we get to, the way that this works is the people of God. God's resources for God's kingdom reside in God's people. It's you and me. The way that this even happens is because people have decided to make the house of God a priority and they they give not under compulsion, but voluntarily out of a cheerful heart and they, they give. And the people of God, they say, we're done with neglecting the house of God. We're done with neglecting the ways of God. We're done with neglecting the commands of God. We are done we're done and we're going to reorient this thing. We're going, to, we're going to reorder our lives and we're going to see God renew us spiritually. Can I just ask you, um, how's your marriage? <laughs> if you're not married, how's your relationships? Are you doing it God's way? Or are you doing it your way? Can I ask you, how's your work and your career? How's your time? How's your energy? Some of us are underworking. Some of us are overworking. How's your work and career? Are you doing it God's way or are you doing it your way? How's your service and your generosity? How's the way that you use your life and your resources and your things that God's given you, your gifts and your skills, your time, your talent, your treasure? Are you doing it God's way or are you doing it your way? In 2001, I was a senior in high school and um, went, to a, went to a Christian school. I grew up in a private Christian school and um, was excited about our senior trip. Do they still do senior trips, by the way? I don't know if they still do the senior. Do they do? Okay. Back in the day, we used to do these things called a senior trip. Seniors would take a week and they would go somewhere like amazing like, Greece, or Italy, or, you know, like, that. it's incredible. My, when I was a senior, my senior trip, you know where we went to? Uh, the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, so. I'm like, what a joke, you know? By the way, my school was kind of a joke. But, I mean, um, there's, like, there's literally, I, there's, like, this is no joke. There were seven people in my graduating class, so it was crazy. I mean, um, it was it was bizarre. Um, we're going this senior trip, and um, we're going to this. We're going to the. We're going to the mountains of Western North Carolina, in not even like the cool part of the mountains. We're going to the Christian camp. I'm like, this is the worst idea. Like, what? A For a few months leading up to that trip. Um, the Lord had begun to stir in me and to call me uh, to something specific. And I knew that he was calling me to be a a pastor. And this is my story, and you have your own story. For months leading up to that trip, I shrugged off the leading of God's Spirit in my life. And I gave God excuses for why I didn't need to do what he wanted me to do. And, you know, every now and then... um, you get a clear revelation from God, a clear directive on what he wants you to do in a situation. Holy Spirit will move in you if you're a follower of Jesus and will give you specifics on what you should do. Sometimes they're momentary and standing in line at Chipotle and you just need to have a conversation with some, someone and sometimes the Holy Spirit will just shoulder tap you and say, ask that person how they're doing. Sometimes it's monumental. Sometimes it's about a marriage relation. Sometimes it's about a career decision. Sometimes it's about buying a house. Sometimes it's about the total trage- trajectory of your life. For months, the Lord had been stirring in, in me, and I was like, "Man, the last thing that I want to do is like, is, is be a pastor." And uh, I had better plans for my life. And I'm at this stupid senior trip at a Christian camp, and um it's a Christian school, it's a Christian camp, so of course they're going to have preaching and teaching. I'm sitting underneath the preaching of God's, I don't even remember the pastor's name, I'm sitting in the back and man, the, the, the power of God and the presence of God and the manifestation of God, of God in my life was maybe thicker than it's ever, ever has been. And in a moment, the Lord revealed, I had a light bulb moment, a Holy Spirit moment, and God showed me. He said, Ethan, my plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. And here's the reality. Every Christian has to come to the point of spiritual maturity where you believe and you trust that God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. And I just feel today that some of you have been living in disobedience in an area of your life. You've been living in disobedience. You're experiencing the destructive results of disobedience in your life. If you're not already in exile, you're on the way to exile because of your disobedience. I feel like somebody today needs to say, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm, I'm done with disobedience. I'm done with my own way. I'm done with trying to figure it out my own way. It's time to do things God's way. I'm tired of forfeiting the will of God in my life. I'm tired of forfeiting the plan of God in my life. I'm tired of forfeiting the move of God in my life because of my disobedience. Today's a day of obedience. Today is a day of obedience and I'm not going back. Somebody today needs to say, I'm not going back. I'm not doing things my way maybe today you need to say you're not going back would you pray with me today father today I just ask that you would give us courage and strength to have a moment of obedience to not go back Father, you've revealed to us this morning, maybe an area of our life that we're walking in disobedience. And today we're going to walk in obedience. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, we're going to take a moment and we're going to respond. Your life will be the result of decisions that you make. Your life will be a result of the decisions that you make. I just feel like somebody today needs to make a decision that I'm going to begin walking in obedience. Here's what I want you to do in a minute. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and we're going to stand in obedience, which is going to be awkward. It's going to take courage, but it's going to be a defiant decision and action that I'm not going back, that I'm walking in God's ways in this area in my life. And I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you, if that's you. So here's what I want to do. Um, if that's you and there's an area of your life you feel like, man, I need to begin walking and stepping out in obedience, I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you stand to your feet right now? Would you stand in courage and confidence and obedience? And for those of you who are standing, would you open your hands before the Lord? Father, today we commit that we're walking in obedience. We're walking in obedience. We're not going back. We're not going back. We're not going to forfeit your will and your plan and your move in our life anymore. We're going to walk in obedience. God, for the people in the room that need to, to turn away from a relationship, from the people that need to turn away from an addiction, from the people that need to turn away from some kind of unhealthy ambition or whatever it is, God, we submit that to you and we walk in freedom today. We walk in freedom and thank you for the renewal that you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.